This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The David Packman Show, The Majority Report, The Progressive, The Green News Report, The Young Turks, Comedian Lee Camp, Jim Hightower, and The Bugle. Outspoken climate skeptic Richard Mueller, who's a UC Berkeley physicist, has finally admitted he was wrong about global warming. He said he was wrong to doubt the effect of humans on global warming. He said it in a piece for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's a pretty outspoken professor. He's known for being a part of this climate denial community. He's ranted against Al Gore. He's fueled the fire on, on alleged climate gate. He created an independent study to look at all of the objections raised by climate skeptics. And the team, which worked under the Berkeley Earth Research uh, Earth Surface Temperature Project, analyzed all sorts of data for months. And he said, global warming is real. Perhaps our results will help cool this portion of the climate debate. So Mueller not only coming up with uh, some facts about global warming, coming up with some puns, too. Right. Well, I mean, at least he did his own research and drew his own conclusions. I mean, there are I'm, lots I'm of not criticizing. Right. There are lots of people who are doing no research and have perhaps corporate interest at heart, and they're just flat out denying it based on nothing. So I think as time goes on, you'll see more scientists and more people doing real research uh, coming out and saying that it's real, but there's still going to be plenty of politicians and other people denying it uh, for financial reasons. For, for a long time, mm -hmm. until, it, uh, until it's like denying that we breathe oxygen. Right. That's when they'll stop. Back in March, we reported on the uh, primary and uh, the initial findings by this uh, California Berkeley physicist, a guy named uh, Robert uh, Richard M uh, Mueller. I don't know if it's Mueller or Mueller. Uh, and he has long time been a uh, contrarian and also very skeptical on the so-called conventional wisdom about climate change. He always thought that the modeling was wrong that the earth, uh, there was no conclusive proof that the earth was warming. And he came, became sort of a darling of the flat earther group, the climate change denialists. And in 2010, to prove that this whole global warming thing was a bunch of bunk, he set up uh, the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project best to show the world that uh, you're not doing climate uh, analysis properly, let me show you uh, the way to do it, which will undoubtedly prove that there is no uh, global climate change. And uh, one of his big funders was a couple of brothers who were just interested in spreading the truth, uh, the Koch brothers, through their Koch Foundation. They gave Best a $150,000 grant. They could run this show for a long time on $150,000. And 
Back in March, and we reported on this at the time, Mueller testified to Congress. He said his preliminary findings were actually showing that um, uh, global temperatures are actually going up. <laughs> and so yesterday, or I guess I should say on Thursday of last week, best, the Berkeley Earth surface temperature. And what better place, right, Berkeley? Even in Berkeley, man, they know that the temperature's not getting warmer. Uh, the, the Earth isn't getting warmer. Well, yesterday, uh, Best confirmed that these and uh, other results are in the, in the first set of published papers about land temperatures. And from Kevin Drum, he breaks down exactly what they found. The Earth is indeed getting warmer. Surprise, surprise. Global average land temperatures have risen 0.91 degrees Celsius over the past 50 years, and this is, quote, on the high end of the existing range of reconstructions. Hey, what happened? It turns out this guy found, not only did he find that the data showing that the Earth is warming is correct, that it may be slightly conservative in how much it's been warming. The rate of increase on land is actually accelerating. So it's warming at a faster pace than it has over the, uh, the rest of the 20th century. The last 40 years, it's, the pace has increased. Uh, the first half of the 20th century, it was going slower. In fact, in the, uh, for the entire century, the planet warmed at 0.73 degrees Celsius per century. But over the last 40 years, it was nearly four times that rate. So it's speeding up significantly. Warming has not abated since 1998. This is all from a Koch Brothers global climate change denialing study. In announcing uh, the results, Mueller said our biggest surprise was that the new results agreed so closely with the warming values published previously by other teams in the U.S. and O.K. But at least it's going to be sunny all year round in New York. Just make sure you have a boat if you're in New York City. Uh, because ocean waters tend to rise when the ice caps melt. Uh, there will be more data released soon on, on what's happening with the oceans in terms of their warming. And it's, it's hilarious to watch the right-wingers back off this. One big climate denialist uh, blogger, Anthony Watts, who is, of course, a meteorologist and a blogger who uh, doubts that greenhouse gases contribute to warming, back in March was very excited about Mueller's group. I'm prepared to accept whatever result they produce, even if it proves my uh, premise wrong. Well, on Thursday... Hey, what happened? He said he can't, uh, uh, cannot subscribe to the group's conclusions because they haven't been peer-reviewed yet. Except for all the other peers have already said this information we already confirm. Just classic.
The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. I'm Matt Rothschild, the editor of The Progressive Magazine, with my progressive point of view, which you can also grab off our website over at progressive.org. Another global warming conference, another foot drag by the Obama administration. UN climate talks are currently underway in Durban, South Africa, but they aren't going anywhere thanks to the White House. That's why 16 leading environmental groups just sent a scathing letter to Hillary Clinton. They noted that when he was president-elect, Obama vowed to help lead the world toward a new era of global cooperation on climate change. But now, they say, America risks being viewed not as a global leader, but as a major obstacle to progress. They point out that the U.S. is being obstinate about not signing any binding agreement to limit global warming until China and India are fully on board. Instead, the U.S. is still pushing voluntary pledges, which is a major setback, said the environmental groups, which include the Sierra Club, the NRDC, the Union of Concerned Scientists, Physicians for Social Responsibility, the Wilderness Society, and the World Wildlife Fund. These groups also said that the Obama administration was stepping away from a previous commitment to provide funding to developing countries to adopt technologies that won't destroy the ozone layer. These retreats on global warming are as puzzling as they are devastating. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Okay, Des, Washington, D.C.'s king of the denier movement, Senator James Mountain Inhofe, and that is his middle name, had a special message for the U.N. Climate Conference out there in Durban, South Africa yesterday. By video, he sent, shall we say, a few taunting remarks. Here's a, a moment or two of his comments. Hi, I'm Senator Jim Inhofe, a Republican senator from Oklahoma. And today I'm happy to bring you the good news about the complete collapse of the global warming movement for the past decade, I've been the leader in the United States Senate standing up against global warming alarmism and, and cap and trade. You should know that global warming skeptics everywhere wish we could be with you celebrating the final nail in the coffin on location in South Africa. Pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. He went on to thank Rush Limbaugh's former producer, Mark Morano. He claimed that the uh, UN scientists have been thoroughly discredited, and he hopes for the defeat of Obama in 2012, quote, for the sake of my 20 kids and grandkids. You know, one thing I think is certain here, Senator Inhofe has assured his place in history at this point, but I don't know that it's one that his 20 kids and grandkids are going to be particularly proud of. 
And Senator Inhofe isn't alone in crowing about his supposed successes. The Tea Party front group, Americans for Prosperity, which is funded by oil profits from the billionaire Koch brothers, bragged to the National Journal this week that they are responsible for the disinformation campaign that has led to the rejection of science in the Republican Party and in the American people in general. He actually bragged about politicizing the science. It was amazing. But go figure, the planet persists in ignoring the Republican Party and the climate change denial industry. 2011 just broke its own record, set back in October, for billion-dollar weather disasters. The National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration has revised the total of extreme weather disasters in 2011 that cost more than a billion dollars now to 12. That's cost the U.S. over $52 billion in 2011 alone. And NOAA Administrator Jane Lubchenco says... Climate change is an undeniable factor. Also, a new study released this week at the annual meeting of the American Geophysical Union says melting permafrost in the warming Arctic will reach a tipping point in a little over 10 years, which could release massive amounts of methane into the atmosphere, accelerating global warming even more. And I suspect Senator Inhofe will still be bragging about the disasters. In politics, President Obama warned congressional Republicans against tying a rider forcing faster approval of the controversial Keystone XL pipeline as a price for legislation extending the payroll tax cut for the middle class. He said he'd veto any such measure to tie the two together. So everybody should be on notice. The payroll tax cut is something that House Republicans as well as Senate Republicans should want to do regardless of any other issues. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, deadlock in Durban. 2020 is too late to wait. A U.S. college student interrupted U.S. climate envoy Todd Stern at the United Nations Climate Conference in Durban, South Africa. To a rather rousing round of applause. Yes, she did. She slammed the U.S. position to delay legally binding agreements to reduce emissions until 2020. The negotiations are tense in the last three days with divisions along the familiar lines of developed nations versus developing nations. Scientists warn that delaying major emissions cuts until after 2020 will be insufficient to keep global temperatures from rising more than two degrees. Celsius, potentially causing catastrophic climate change. Great news for Senator Inhofe's 20 kids and grandkids. But U.S. Special Envoy Todd Stern suggests these scientific limits are only guideposts. It's important, it's serious, and it's a guidepost, I would say. A guidepost unlikely to be met if things continue to move forward as they are, as James Inhofe was all too proud to celebrate. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, often on this show, we talk about... Uh, the Koch brothers and other folks that uh, are buying our politicians and 
Well, the reasons that they do it. So, for example, they want lower taxes so they could keep more of their billions. Or they want less regulation. But oftentimes you don't see the real results of that lower regulation. So, for example, when the EPA does not regulate their plants, what happens? Well, Brave New Foundation, led by Robert Greenwald, went and investigated a town in Arkansas where that is exactly what was happening. First part, we're going to show you here, and they've got the whole video on KochBrothersExposed.com, and it's fantastic. But let me show you a small clip here from uh, somebody from that town, Mr. Bowie, uh, explaining uh, the problem here. Let's watch. We have 15 homes in this area, and maybe 11 people has died or more with cancer, and that's unreal. What's going on here is a crime. Just a waste. My daughter Letitia died at 43. She grew up in the neighborhood. She had a husband, a devoted husband. She had children that she really and truly loved. And I think that she died too young. She was a non-smoker. She, she was not a drinker. And she got lung cancer. And you know, you'll wonder where, where did it come from? These people are sick. They're dying. This is inexcusable. <laughs> That's murderous. Great Good to, to see, see you too. again. When I met Mr. Bowie, I could not believe what was going on in this neighborhood. I think it has to do with our environment, what we smell, what we inhale. We were deer hunting in the back, and we noticed that there was such a strong, strong odor back there. <coughs> The smell was so strong and so bad. It was awful. I started noticing in my river the sheets of black coming downstream. The color's different. The smell is different. The whole river is different. It's rough. Whatever's in it is killing these trees. They have cut this huge channel, and it's like an open sewer line. This is where the smell is coming from. You can see the steam coming from the stuff. And at times it gets so bad, it's like a big cloud. And it, it gets up in the water air, and it flows right over the trees where our property is. It is our mission to find out what it is, who's behind it, and how to stop it. It causes the throat to be sore, eyes to hurt, nose, and it's hard to breathe in. The first time that I came here, I saw the color of the water. It was like an epiphany. This right here, this private property, but if you could follow it in a straight line, you would be at Georgia Pacific's plant owned by Coke Industries. It's pitiful that Coke allowed this kind of a stuff to be dumped, just dumped in the wide open like this. Once I saw this, I knew Coke Industries were the culprits. They know that these people are sick. So, uh... Is this just happenstance? Well, let's look at more of the numbers. And by the way, Mr. Bowie is a minister and a, a reserve deputy sheriff and a leader of that community, and he's the one that's been tracking this and showing everybody. So some of the numbers, first the one he mentioned in the video, 15 houses on that street on Penn Road, 11 people died of cancer. Now, it's not just older folks, it's that, as you saw in the video there, a 43-year-old gets cancer, dies, okay? Uh, and it's not just that road. A nearby school ranked number one in the country for uh, being exposed to substances that lead to cancer. They are, and you see it with your own eyes. There it is. It's in the in that reservoir that they've created, and they're putting that pollution in, and the steam is coming out, and it's killing folks.
So when they say, yes, less regulation, think about Penn Road. Think about that community in Arkansas that has real effects and sometimes deadly effects. That's the effect of them buying the politicians. Now, how do they get the EPA to back off? Instead of doing their job and saying, hey, wait a minute now, the community's being hurt. We're supposed to represent the citizens. Instead, they turn a blind eye. How do they do that? They buy the politicians that we were talking about. In fact, here's KochBrothersExposed.com telling you exactly which uh, politicians they are. And they got them on tape. Watch this. The Koch brothers basically buy an anti-environmental Congress that has single-handedly tried to eviscerate and gut environmental regulation across the board. I'm proud of the work Koch Industries brings to my district. It's cheap at the price. It's certainly a lot less expensive than actually having to retrofit factories. The EPA will have doors locked and the lights turned off. Koch Industries not only manipulates the political process, but more importantly to me, is they manipulate the public into believing that the EPA is killing jobs. The EPA is intent on taking matters into their own hands, which will result in a bleeding of jobs. It is a problem when politicians are calling EPA and saying, leave them alone, rather than calling them and saying, do your job and clean it up. Workers in my state don't want to see the lost jobs, 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 that EPA's big government takeover would bring. They're sickening, man. They use jobs as an excuse because they all get paid by the Koch brothers to look the other way as people actually get sick and some of them die. Those are the real life consequences of our broken system where these guys can buy our politicians to do their bidding. There is a real life consequence, and I'm glad someone's at least exposing it. The whole media should be doing this all across the country. They should be finding people who are actually affected by these laws and regulations and how the Koch brothers have put an end to those things and have are trying to shut down the EPA, trying to shut down protections for citizens. It's really grotesque what they're doing. Now Mac Underhand was a coal company man, a businessman from out of state. On the mountaintop mine with the giant drag line The dug is cold 24 hours a day But there'd been some delaying from some old fiddle playing Where they tried to mine the cemetery Now Max man had stopped mining, his profits declining Who might this some fiddler be? Who might this some fiddler be? So up Mac drove in his truck all the mind muck until he found the old man where he played. He fiddled at the edge of a dangerous ledge where the Jews of his forefathers laid. After Scott Eli and his father talked with a salesman from an energy company about signing the lease allowing gas drilling on their land in northern Pennsylvania, he said he felt certain it required the company to leave the property as good as new. You know, the problem that um, Mr. Eli had when he said he was surprised several years later when the drilling company informed them that rather than draining and hauling away the toxic drilling sludge stored in large waste ponds on the property, it would leave the water, cover it with dirt, and seed the area with grass. He knew that waste pond liners can leak, seeping contaminated waste. So you have a, an example here of this family in northern Pennsylvania signs a lease with Cabot Oil and Gas 
The salesman says, we're going to leave your property as good as new. You don't have to worry about a thing. The problem is, they did leave it like new, with a new underground pond full of toxic sludge. In fact, multiple underground ponds full of toxic sludge with a new seeded lawn on top. And the Eli family said, I guess our terms should have been clearer about requiring the company to remove the waste pits after drilling. We learned that the hard way. What these gas companies know, and we have reported in the past that they use PSYOPs, they use former military personnel to go in, divide communities. They know that they're dealing with people who are obviously uh, poor enough that they need to make the money by leasing this, their land to them. Uh, unsophisticated enough insofar as, you know, not most, m most people in general, never mind most rural people, don't sit down with contracts that have been drawn up by uh, teams of lawyers to sort of confuse and uh, make what they're signing away uh, somewhat opaque. They're just not used to it. And lawyers in these towns are not used to it either. That's just the reality. And so they come in, and what these oil companies do is what all major companies do in the absence of regulation. This is the famed free market that libertarians are talking about all the time, right? They pass off externalities. So when they say we have a clean and cheap new fuel, it means it's clean in terms of their process when they sell it to somebody else. It's cheap in terms of what it costs them. But it's not clean if you look to the farmland and the aqueducts that have been destroyed. Maybe clean in the way they burn it, but it's not clean in the way they get it. And it's cheap because... They don't pay for the cleanup of the mess they make in drawing it. These are externalities. This is what corporations do all the time. And there is no world where the free market can deal with this. There is no world where an individual has the means and the ability that a corporation with tons of money to spend on lawyers tons of money to spend on PR, tons of money to tie up uh, lawsuits for years and years and years in courts. There is no free market that doesn't exist. There's simply a corporate feudalism where might will win, and they'll call it right. This New York Times uh, story found that fewer than half the leases require companies to compensate landowners for water contamination. Most leases grant gas companies broad rights to decide where they can cut down trees, store chemicals, build roads and drills, and drill. Companies are permitted to operate generators and spotlights through the night near homes during drilling. Most leases are for three to, four, uh, three to five years, but at least two-thirds of those reviewed by the Times allow extensions without additional approval from landowners. 
Well, as the libertarians would say, caveat emptor, if you are not a, one of those farmers living in rural Pennsylvania or rural New York who hasn't bothered to take the time to get a law degree and practice law for 10 years uh, in contracts, then it's your own damn fault. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the, what what's good about this show. What None we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious. I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. It's the biggest spike ever in carbon dioxide emissions. The Associated Press reports that global emissions of greenhouse gases in 2010 jumped by the biggest amount ever on record, according to new data released by the U.S. Department of Energy. Great! More than half of that increase in emissions comes from just two countries, China and the U.S. Oh, I thought you were going to say comes from Rush Limbaugh, but press on. One of the consequences of ever-increasing emissions is already coming true. More frequent, extreme, and intense weather events. From the catastrophic flooding and killer tornadoes in the Midwest, to the record drought in Texas, to the freak Halloween snowstorm in the Northeast, the U.S. has now seen 14 weather disasters costing more than $1 billion in 2011, making 2011 the record for billion-dollar weather disasters. That 14 is almost double the previous record of nine disasters set back in 2008, and the year ain't over yet. Meanwhile, things are warming up down in Antarctica. When looking out of the window of the aircraft, we noticed a fairly large uh, crack in the uh, ice shelf. NASA scientists have confirmed that a massive new crack is forming in one of Antarctica's largest glaciers, the Pine Island Glacier. According to NASA scientists performing aerial surveys, the crack formed in just the last six weeks. And what are the consequences if this uh, glacier breaks off? Well, it can affect shipping if it's as big as they think it will be, 300 square miles the size of New York City, and it will raise sea levels nearby. I'll get out my swimming suit. You know how you hear uh, Republicans complaining all the time about Solyndra and like, oh my God, look at all these subsidies that the Democrats are giving to green companies, you know, solar companies and wind companies. Oh my God, they're giving away our American tax dollars. And then they, some of these companies go bankrupt and said, outrage, I said, outrage. So you've got to figure, among the energy companies, uh, well, renewable fuels must be getting the most amount of subsidies from the American government, right? Wrong again, Bob. 
Let me show you the list. This is according to Doug Coplo, and, and he's with the energy consulting firm EarthTrack. This is one of the most preeminent experts in this field in this country. Here's his estimate for the subsidies that the different energy uh, fields get. Renewable fuels get $6 billion in subsidies. Hey, that's a lot. Ethanol, $6 billion. But that number is actually going to go down because we had rare progress in that field. Uh, so ethanol subsidies will get taken away uh, a little more in the future. Uh, nuclear, I'm sorry, coal uh, comes in next at $8 billion. So wait a minute, coal gets more than renewable energies? Coal is as dirty as it gets. Okay, well then you've got nuclear at $9 billion. Who even realizes that nuclear is getting $9 billion a year in subsidies? It's taxpayer money. That could be our money. Instead, it's going to the nuclear industry, which makes no sense. 57% of Americans uh, think that there should be no subsidies for nuclear energy whatsoever. But as you can see, the big number at the bottom. Oil and gas getting $41 billion a year in subsidies. So when they complain about subsidies going to renewable energies, it's nonsense. When we tried to take away, we meaning, I guess, progressives, and, and actually some Democrats, so hey, look at that. When they uh, proposed to take away oil subsidies, the Republicans lost it. They were like, how dare you? These are job creators. We need these subsidies. You need subsidies to motivate oil companies, the, literally the most profitable companies in the world, to do what they would do anyway, which is to make the largest amount of profit in the world of any company. They don't need a subsidy for that. Some of these subsidies are nearly a century old. In the beginning, the reason they gave the subsidy, some of them at least, to the oil companies was because they want to stimulate a new market, kind of like what they're doing with renewable energy now. But the Republicans turn that on its head and say, instead of stimulating a new field that could then create jobs and add to the economy, no, let's try to kill that field and give the unnatural advantage to a field that already exists that is already massively profitable. Why? Because the oil and gas companies fund the Republican Party. That's why. So that's why they will protect the 45, $41 billion in subsidies per year to their death, almost to their political death, because they refused to budge on that issue, and they suffered in the polls over the last couple of months because they would never make a deal that took away oil and gas subsidies in any way. You think they want to balance the budget? They don't give a damn about the budget. You think they care about deficits? No. Over 10 years, that's over $400 billion in subsidies. Meanwhile, they go around cutting minority business development fund. I thought you wanted to develop businesses. Oh, no, not for minorities. You know how much they cut? $2 million. That's all that it was. $2 million, they cut it. But $41 billion, they'll give the oil and gas. And by the way, you think that's the only advantages that those established companies already get? No. There's also secret subsidies that David Sirota writes about. A great article. Environmental Law Institute broke this down. Uh, they are providing substantially larger subsidies for fossil fuels than to renewables, they explain. They come in the form of special tax breaks uh, for things like fracking. Uh, and, but it gets much deeper than that. You know what they do? They say... Even for foreign oil companies, who cares? As long as you've given us donations and eventually jobs, etc., we don't care where the money goes. It's not like we give a damn about taxpayers. No, uh, we, allow, we give them special breaks as well. For example, the Export-Import Bank of the United States approved $3 billion for hundreds of miles of gas pipeline and liquid natural gas plant uh, project in Papua New Guinea. What? what? Wait a minute, I thought you were against foreign aid. What the hell is, why is $3 billion going to Papua New Guinea? 
Oh, because it's ExxonMobil's project. So who cares that it goes to a foreign country? ExxonMobil gets paid. Renewable energies, no, 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 we're not going to give money to them. They get a pittance. No, no, the old guys that are excellent at legalized bribery, they're the ones that get all the money. And the list goes on and on. The United States Geological Survey offers training and technology to geologists who's exploring shale gas in Europe. Why? Because, again, somebody's getting paid for that. What does Europe have to do with us? Nothing. It's just somebody's bought the right politicians. Vice President Dick Cheney's uh, Energy Task Force, you remember that during the Bush administration? They passed legislation exempting fracking from oversight that other energy development companies have to deal with. So that's another secret subsidy. When you don't have to deal with regulation, because Dick Cheney made sure you didn't have to, you save more money. You save more money in the regulation that you don't have to apply, and in all those annoying safety things like you'd, regulations you'd have to do, no, 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 no. You, you just skip all that and add more to your bottom line and then funnel some of that back to the Republican Party. So when you hear them talking about how, oh my God, they're giving so much money to solar energy, so many breaks to that industry, it's nonsense. Yes, they get some money as I just showed you, right? But the established oil and gas companies do a 10 times, 100 times better job of bribing our politicians to get the best breaks in the world, including straight up subsidy money that comes out of our pockets. It's an outrage. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. In looking back over 2011, I couldn't help but notice two huge events on the energy front, one that got the coverage it deserved and one that didn't. The one that did, of course, was Fukushima. This catastrophic nuclear meltdown captivated my attention and the attention of the world for days and weeks. But the amazing thing about it was that we'd been warned about nuclear meltdowns for decades now. We had Chernobyl, we had Three Mile Island, and still we heard the siren songs of the nuclear industry and their apologists, including Barack Obama, who claimed that nuclear energy was safe. It never was and it never will be. And it survives in the U.S. only because the government subsidizes it and insures it against liability. The other energy story is the continuing calamity of global warming, and especially America's unwillingness to do what's necessary to curb greenhouse gases and move to solar and wind power. The Obama administration hasn't acquitted itself well here. In fact, its hidebound actions aren't that much different than Bush's. For 13 years now, the White House has been fiddling while the planet literally burns, and deaf to the fire alarms that are ringing more loudly by the day. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
This is your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. Many people talk about how we now live in an Orwellian world where laws that pollute the skies are called the Clear Skies Initiative and awe-inspiringly greedy dickholes are called job creators and laws allowing hydraulic fracking inside wildlife refuges are called energy initiatives and laws that say you should punch every dark-skinned person in the throat while screaming, Tell Al-Qaeda that's for knocking down our towers, mother are called the Patriot Act. We now live in that world. We live in a place that would make Orwell rub sulfuric acid in his eyes and dig at his ears with a spoon. But I actually think we've moved past that into something worse, into something that is not just bad things with good titles. We've moved into actually creating Orwellian organizations, doing meaningless Orwellian projects with Orwellian names on the taxpayer dollar. If that doesn't leave your head spinning like Silvio Berlusconi with underage girls standing on three sides of him, then I don't know what will. For example, in his book Vulture's Picnic, Greg Palace details the creation of an organization called America's Wetland Foundation. Now anything with a name that rosy must have some dead hookers in the basement. That's just how it works. I'm surprised they didn't name it My Little Pony, God Bless America Jesus. Anyway, America's Wetland Foundation was actually receiving a third of a billion taxpayer dollars to pile giant mounds of sand and dirt in the Mississippi Delta to quote-unquote catch BP's spilt oil. Sounds like a great plan. If only anyone thought it would work. It was actually slated to catch only a thousand barrels of oil. How much oil was lost by BP? I'm glad you asked. 210 million barrels. Who was receiving the money to create the dirt pile? The Shaw Group. Who was one of Governor Bobby Jindal's biggest supporters? The Shaw Group. You know who else funded America's wetland? The oil companies. So you've got a foundation with a bull name building a bull pile of bull funded by a governor feeding the press bull and ultimately funneling a third of a billion dollars into the pockets of a construction company while making it appear as if Jindal and oil companies are fighting to protect the wetlands. Basically, piles of bullshit come out of the assholes and billions of dollars are pushed back into the assholes. And as most of us know, bullshit does not catch oil or save wetlands or protect the environment. It just makes everything stinky. That's all. And this is just one small example of the same process happening around the country and the world. Did you ever think we'd be at a point so corrupt, so swallowed by swindle, that fraudulent foundations are actually paid to create meaningless piles of sand to pretend to protect the wetlands they've already wasted? Orwell would be so dizzy he'd vomit and pass out. This morning, they're having a meeting at the House uh, Subcommittee on Energy and Environment, and it's about fracking largely. It's a natural gas procurement practice, if you don't know. And uh, there's a lot of controversy around it. In fact, there's a whole movie made about it called Gasland. 
uh, not only did they make that documentary, it was actually nominated uh, for an Academy Award. Its director was actually, Josh Fox was. And Josh Fox happened to be at the hearing because he wanted to do a follow-up for Gasland. So this is the perfect place to do it. They're having a hearing on it, and it's a public hearing. So he went there. And what happened to him? He got arrested. Arrested for what? It's a public hearing. The Republicans claimed, oh, no, you formally did not file a request to be in this meeting as media. Now, first of all, it's a formality, and, uh, and apparently uh, high-profile journalists go to those meetings all the time. Nobody ever asked them if they got a specific you know, piece of paper filled out about that particular hearing. But that's okay, so if you want to say, hey, you know what, he did that wrong, okay. You don't arrest the guy. All you got to do, and apparently this is absolutely standard procedure, Huffington Post, Zach Carter reporting about this, is you tell him to go to the desk and can you fill out that uh, piece of paper and then come right back. You know what the Republicans did? They sent 16 police officers after him. I'm not kidding, 16. He's a director of a documentary. How dangerous could he be? There was no indication that he was going to resist arrest or, or resist filling out a piece of paper. And it's not just this particular guy that they're worried about. They don't want that, those hearings covered at all. Because ABC News showed up with proper credentials. It's a public hearing. They got everything totally right. And they said, you're not allowed in the hearing. But wait a minute. This is our house. It's not their house. It's our house. It's the House of Representatives there to represent us, who apparently have no idea what the First Amendment says. When the press goes to cover uh, this issue, oh, no, no, the Republicans don't want you to see it at all. Imagine what they're hiding if they're this desperate to make sure nobody finds out about it. It's sick, man. This is how America is supposed to be. Look, the reason uh, to make a big deal out of it, other than the fact that it's atrocious, is that if you let him get away with it today, I've seen this slippery slope slide away from us a hundred times. Next thing you know, it'll be common practice. Well, of course, if you don't, oh, you had the wrong, you didn't cross your T or dot your I in that form. You're now arrested by 28 officers. I mean, Jesus, 16 police officers to go after one guy who's in the media. How desperate are they to cover up what they're actually doing? Now, why? We've shown you how many times on this program. Because those Republicans are the exact guys taking money from that exact industry to do whatever the hell they want them to do. You give me a paycheck, I'll give you the result that you want. That's what the subcommittee hearing is about. And they don't want you to find out how they're basically doing legalized bribery. And if it means that, you know, land around your houses gets fracked, and some of the contaminants flow into your drinking water, maybe people around there get sick, well, that's your problem, not their problem. They're still getting paid either way. This is outrageous, and everybody should be livid about this. By the way, he's technically been charged with unlawful entry. <laughs> unlawful entry into our House of Representatives in a public hearing. I turn my camera on. I cut my fingers on.
Why do congressional Republicans hate unborn babies? Yeah, I know they profess to love the unborn, even considering them persons from the very moment of conception. Yet, whose interest do you think these same politicos have chosen to protect when it comes to regulating an especially nasty industrial toxin that wreaks holy hell on unborn babies? That nasty is mercury, a neurotoxin that spews into our air from old coal-burning electric utilities. This toxic mercury falls into water, where it's turned into methylmercury that builds up in fish. Many pregnant women unwittingly eat these contaminated fish, and the methylmercury messes terribly with the emerging nervous systems of their fetuses, producing babies with impaired IQs, unable to think and learn as they should. Now, though, after 20 years of delay forced by electric company lobbyists, the Environmental Protection Agency finally came out in December with regulations to control the mercury emissions from power plants. Hallelujah! Save the babies! But wait, the lovers of the unborn are not celebrating this move to stop industry from doing gratuitous damage to children's IQs. Far from it. Congressional Republicans are now howling to overturn the EPA's regulation of mercury, and a bunch of them say they want to kill the EPA itself to stop such governmental interference in the corporate pursuit of profits. Unborn babies make great politics, but they don't make big campaign donations. The GOP goes with whom it really loves. This is Jim Hightower saying. How ironic that the defenders of mercury pollution are quote mad as a hatter about the EPA's protection of children. Maybe they don't know that that phrase comes from 19th-century hat makers who use mercury compounds in their work, often causing mental damage that literally drove them mad. I woke up and wished that I was dead with an aching in my head. I lay motionless in bed. I thought of you. Where you gone? Let the world spin by them. And everything that I said I'd do, I'd make the world brand new. I'd take the time for you. I just got lost and slept right through the dark. And the world spins by them. Top story this week: madness in the Maldives. And with all the attention that the Arab Spring got, Andy, and is now deliberately not getting, <laughs> let's spare a thought for the Maldives. Now you might ask, where the f are the Maldives? <laughs> to which I would say, why don't you go buy a globe, cover it in Tabasco sauce, eat that globe, digest what's on it, and shit yourself out an answer. <laughs> <laughs> The Maldives are a small island nation consisting of about 1,200 islands in the Indian Ocean. Capital city: Malay. Official language: Devehi. Currency: Maldivian Rufia. Thank God the Wikipedia strike is over, Andy, or that would have been a significantly shorter sentence. <laughs> And who is their president? Well, I'll tell you who it definitely isn't. It definitely isn't democratically elected president Mohammed Nasheed, because he stepped down from power this week, Andy, after looking a potential coup in the face and saying. No, thank you. Not for me. <laughs> Mohammed Nasheed is going to make like a tree and uproot himself from power, so that his political career breaks down into mulch. <laughs> I'm resigning, is what I'm saying, people. What is wrong? Why don't you appreciate wordplay? <laughs> ah, this was never going to work out, Maldivians. <laughs> 
Yeah, Maldives, former holder of the world record for the largest communal scuba dive, um, which I believe remains the nation's greatest achievement, a tropical island paradise, unless you happen to actually come from there, in which case <laughs> you probably don't have any money at all, and are used to living under autocratic regimes, and the vague sensation that your home will probably be underwater in a few years' time. But D- Different least, kind of paradise, yeah. different kind. And you can watch rich people from the West enjoying a tropical island paradise, so you get it vicariously, which is... Better than nothing, I think. That was that was the uh, extra unreleased verse to the Guns N' Roses' Paradise City, Andy. Take me down to the Paradise City where the grass is green, the girls are pretty, and the poverty line is absolutely devastating. <laughs> uh, Nasheed claimed he was forced to resign at gunpoint. Of course, not the first leader who's resigned at gunpoint. Um, Adolf Hitler being one, I guess. <laughs> And uh, he was a former political prisoner and refugee who took over from a corrupt autocratic predecessor who'd been in power for three decades, and magnanimously rose above having been held in uh, solitary confinement, being tortured and forced to eat ground glass, which I'm guessing wasn't particularly elegantly prepared in a jail in the Maldives. I guess ground glass is one of those things like offal. You know, if you're going to eat it, John, you want to eat it somewhere really good, definitely not in jail. Yeah. Unless the Maldives Secret Service has hired Heston Blumenthal as a celebrity guest <laughs> chef for the week. Yeah, as you mentioned, he pledged to complete the Maldives' move towards full democracy, but faced huge opposition as his parliament was dominated by opposition supporters of the former president. And that is awkward, Andy. And when I say awkward, I mean dangerous and fundamentally doomed. <laughs> uh, he stepped down on Tuesday, as you say, saying that he was forced to resign at gunpoint by police and army officers in a move planned with the knowledge of his former vice president, who's now replaced him. And new president Hassan had denied these gunpoint claims saying, yeah, it wasn't a gunpoint. No one ever pointed the gun at him. They just <laughs> directed his attention to the gun and said that if he didn't resign immediately, the gun would be pointed at him and then fired at him <laughs> and then carefully placed in his hand to indicate suicide. <laughs> the, uh, the Maldives economy, of course, uh, is based on tourism, which began in the early 1970s. And the ex-dictator who... Uh, now, she took over from and who is, could be set for a return to power, an emotional comeback like mm-hmm. a nasty Elvis. Uh, more moon <laughs> Abdul Gayoom. He's probably not quite as well dressed. Uh, he took power in 1978 and tourism boomed up towards the figure of 500,000 tourists per year today, which just shows, John, that tourists love dictators. Mm-hmm. We saw this with Tunisia as well when the revolution kicked off there and the main concern, certainly in Britain, was whether British holidaymakers might be slightly inconvenienced by those annoying locals disrupting their holidays of a lifetime by fighting a life and death struggle for freedom. And the same has happened with the Maldives. Where shall we go this year, love? Oh, well, somewhere we can get away from it all. You know, from work, from stress, from family, and from democracy. I want to go somewhere where the local people are oppressed, otherwise it just won't feel any different from home. <laughs> Ex-President Nasheed will be missed. He seemed to be a fundamentally well-meaning man in a near-impossible job who was anxious to move towards a more moderate government and who'll be remembered as a committed environmentalist. How committed? Well, try this for size. He once held an underwater cabinet meeting to highlight climate change. In an innovative move aimed at grabbing attention, he and his ministers were in full scuba gear as they met for about 30 minutes at a depth of six metres just north of the capital in 2009. Wow. Andy, he he even signed a bill down there, presumably with an underwater pen. That is world-class leadership, Andy. These crazy Maldiviacs, or whatever they call themselves, don't know what they're giving up here. Because we're not just missing that, Andy. We're not just missing underwater meetings 
We're missing what he could have done. How was he going to highlight the problems of nuclear pr- proliferation? Having a 30-minute meeting inside a nuclear warhead before <laughs> symbolically detonating it in a cloud of mushrooms? The guy could have been great fun to watch, Andy. Instead, now we're watching him desperately try to slip into Sri Lanka to prevent getting killed. Because <laughs> not the uh, not entirely the first leader to uh, hold cabinet meetings underwater. Uh, Margaret Thatcher famously used to begin all her cabinet meetings as British Prime Minister by shoving her minister's heads into a toilet, <laughs> flushing it and saying, who's in charge? <laughs> I'm in charge. Now towel yourself down and say, yes, miss. Yeah, it just seems so charming when Meryl Streep did it in that movie, though, Andy. <laughs> it just didn't seem quite as bad. The problems arose uh, when Nasheed had a senior judge arrested who'd ordered the release of a government critic. Uh, the judge himself had been accused of corruption. Uh, but there was a big backlash against uh, Nasheed uh, for this. And I guess it shows, John, the eternal rule that when you're a democratically elected leader fighting against a legacy of institutionalised corruption and religious conservatism and trying to clean up the economic mess left by your predecessors and the general global economic climate, it's probably best not to arrest a judge, even if that judge is a real dick. Republicans are trying to uh, push for the Keystone uh, oil pipeline. Uh, they're obsessed with this, and they keep claiming that it's part of their jobs agenda. Now, the reality is that uh, it creates very little jobs if uh, you know uh, if it gets passed. And uh, uh, but what they really want it for is because their oil donors have given them a tremendous amount of money, which I'm about to show you. Uh, but they're saying to President Obama, oh, "You better approve it, otherwise we're for jobs, you're not for jobs," and they made it their top priority. Now, gee, I wonder why. Well, 44 senators uh, in, uh, obviously, the U.S. Senate the other day on Monday uh, introduced legislation to get around President Obama blocking the Keystone oil pipeline and for the Senate to be able to uh, procedurally uh, approve it on their own, okay? Um, Now, of those 44 senators, 43 Republicans, one Democrat, uh, I wonder how many of them took money from the people that would benefit from the pipeline? Well, we have the answer. 35 out of the 44 uh, took money from uh, industry uh, and companies that are directly affected. Shell Oil, Exxon Mobil, the Business Roundtable, ConocoPhillips, Chamber of Commerce, etc. All would benefit from the Keystone Pipeline, all giving money to these senators. Uh, how much have they given? They've given $644,000 to those guys. But it's really interesting because uh, that's not that much money. You see how cheap these senators are? You see how cheaply they could be bought? Because to them, like, you know, for example, uh, John Barrasso in uh, Wyoming got $20,500. That doesn't seem like that much, right? For a company that's got billions of dollars, ExxonMobil, one of the most profitable companies in the world. But he's in Wyoming. He's in a small state. And he needs the money to win the re-election. So he's like, $20,000? Sure. What vote do you need? I'm here to serve. 
They're so cheap, man. Easy to buy these guys at the drop of a hat. It, it really, it makes me sick. And of course, every single time they'll tell you the same thing. Oh, I was going to vote that way anyway. It was just a wild coincidence that I wound up getting, uh, you know, money from the guys who would benefit from that bill. Just a total coincidence. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Wolf-Pack.com. Hi, Jay. This is Ben from LaGrange, Kentucky, out in the country. I listen to your podcast a lot while I'm working on our farm that is uh, committed to sustainable agriculture. We've got uh, grass-fed beef like uh, folks have been talking about. Glad to hear the plugs for CSAs and uh, all that food that is not just healthy but also helpful for the environment, uh, helpful for the workers, and, of course, for the farmers. I did want to point out, though, uh, something that Chuck, I think, from uh, Salt Lake City said about how his farmer would sooner let a cow die than give it antibiotics. Now, I, of course, don't know his farmer, but I want to assure folks that are concerned about animal welfare that that probably isn't what's really happening. Uh, He might not be able to sell it to the specialty markets, but it would really not only be uh, good for him financially to sell it to a conventional market that way, uh, just kind of recoup his losses a bit, but also, of course, most farmers who are raising these animals are compassionate and uh, care a lot about them, take good care of them while they have them. Thanks a lot for all that, and I hope that that was helpful. Hello, Jay. This is Hijama in New York City. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. But I literally just stepped off the subway after listening to your Charlie Chapman speech um, at the end of the Foreign Policy Show, and I had to call in and say thanks so much for producing such a great show. And actually to make an activist call to action um, in support of an art exhibition focused on women of color. We're currently doing a concerted campaign to raise funds for the project called The Reimagining, since funding for work associated with black women is historically non-existent. Um, for more information, um, please check out uh, the homepage of my website at IDI Studios. Um, that's Eyes and Ice Cream, Diaz and Dog, Eyes and Ice Cream Again, Studios, S-T-U-D-I-O-S dot com. Get more information on the show and how to support us from there. Thanks, Jay. I love the show. Please keep producing it. They're fantastic. Bye. This is Todd from uh, formerly occupied Los Angeles, and I wanted to call in about the debt, the mortgage deal that was just signed by the state attorney general at the behest of the Department of Justice, the Obama Department of Justice. And uh, I mean, there's so many ways that it's a bad deal, but let me break it down quickly. Settlement of $26 billion when conservative estimates put the crisis at a $300 billion level for homeowners, that means that the U.S. government and the state attorney generals believe that you, as an American taxpayer and homeowner, are worth less than 10 cents on the dollar. 14 million people have been thrown out of their homes. Some 1 million might get a check for up to $2,000. And if you're trying to raise your family in, you know, a week-to-week hotel, 
you know, that, that might pay for about a month and a half worth of hotel. That's just insulting. And then an additional one million people of the two million that are about to be foreclosed on this year might get an adjustment in their principal of $20,000. I just heard a story of a woman who's in the Air Force. She bought her house for $900,000. It's worth $450,000. And the bank's going to be generous enough to whop $20,000 off the top of that. So she still will owe $880,000 on a $450,000 house. Now, this is another example of the Obama administration looking out for the banks, sticking up for the banks, selling us out in favor of the banks, and this just cannot be stand for. So this is an activist call to action, not only to write your attorney state general, but to occupy their offices, to occupy banks wherever they may stand. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I actually have an activist call to action today. Uh, I want to let you guys know about a a big annual event. uh, It's a big fundraiser that you can take part in or or just support. Uh, It's at climateride.org. And the whole idea is, well, there are actually two rides. One is from New York City to Washington, D.C., and then the other is in Northern California uh, that rides along the coast. So if you are interested in joining in on that, uh, helping raise money for excellent climate change and bike advocacy organizations, and you want to go on an awesome ride, uh, I highly recommend you check out climateride.org to get all the details on signing up. Of course, I've brought this up specifically, and and I know of the existence of this ride because I was invited slash asked slash urged to commit to riding from New York to D.C. to raise money for uh, you know, a variety of organizations I've chosen, and I have committed to do that. So, you know, I, I, I used to do a little bit of riding for, you know, fun and exercise between the ages of probably 14 and 19 or vaguely in that area. You know, I would go out on rides. I'd go for 20 miles two or three times a week, and it was excellent. And at this point in my life, I haven't ridden a bike more than 10 miles at a stretch in about a decade. And so I've just committed to ride uh, 60 to 80 miles a day for five days straight, all in the name of raising money for uh, climate change. So I think you may know where I'm going with this. I could use your help to raise $2,400 that I've committed to raise uh, for three organizations. First is uh, 350.org, which I've mentioned on the show before, just the absolute pinnacle of national and international organizing on climate change. They are phenomenal. Second is the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. They're actually the nonprofit organization where I worked before I quit to do this show full time. And, and it, I'll actually be riding with those guys because they were the ones who invited me to come and do this in the first place. Uh, so, so I'll be raising money for them. And thirdly, Green for All, which is the organization that Van Jones ran before he quit to go work in the White House. And they focus on the connection between climate change, green jobs, raising people out of poverty by making sure that the people who need the jobs and, you know, retrofitting homes and, and installing solar panel panels are the ones who need the work. 
So the ride that I've committed to do is happening in May. You will definitely be hearing me talk about this between now and then, and I sincerely hope that you will uh, take a moment to donate to support me in my ride. So I've, I've made it as easy as I can. There is a link in the show notes for this episode and you know in future episodes that it'll still be there that is accessible on the website. It is actually embedded in the show itself that you downloaded and you are listening to. Uh, that link is right in the show notes, embedded in, in the show, so you can uh, get it there. And if you are listening to the show on any modern-day iPod device, there's actually – if you just like look at the screen you're listening to, there's a really good chance that there's a link that says – support my uh, climate ride and you can just click it on your phone and and it'll take you right to my donation page. So that is that for now at least and today as I always do I want to thank members uh, and today I'm actually just going to thank one member, old member and an old friend, uh, Mike Tidwell who is actually my old boss and the executive director of the Chesapeake Climate Action Network who will be going on this uh, 300 mile ride with me at, at least I believe he is, that's what I've heard and um, and he actually signed up for a socialist membership to help support the show as he's a, a listener and a fan of the show and, and he's been supporting it ever since I stopped working for him. And believe me, I am a much better podcaster than I ever was a personal assistant. So uh, it's, it's really been a win-win situation for him in, in terms of, uh, you know, it's, it's costing him a lot less for me to do what I'm doing now. And uh, and, and I think I think he's getting better service uh, these days anyways. Uh, so thanks to him uh, for all of that. It is, of course, because of the support of, of members like Mike that I can do this and, uh, and then have the time to go on a five-day bike ride and raise lots of money for good causes and try to do some good in the world. So thanks to all of the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. To stay tuned into the show between episodes, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the best of the left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com Oh